But then when you move to Canada and then now you're just considered, oh, these are like black kids. So we're going to associate them with African-American culture. All of a sudden that identity is put on you as well. And I'm like, I guess this is my culture. And I'm like, what? I've never set foot in the United States. What does this even mean? Hello, anti-culture listeners. Surprise, it's me again. I'm so happy you decided to join us once more for another episode of the kickoff of season four of Anti-Culture. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanin, and if you haven't already, go check out episode one of the season, which also dropped today. I'm just as excited about who we have coming up next. On this episode, we'll be chatting with the host of the In Rehearsal podcast, Misha Masika. And here's me being vulnerable. I am always nervous to interview other podcast hosts, but I knew I had to introduce Misha to you. Misha's latest venture has been writing and working for the upcoming television series called The African Family, which is the very first African-Canadian series in Canada, and it is quickly picking up steam after being covered by CBC, CTV, and even MSN News. Misha's pursuits in life have always been colored by her sparkling individuality. She was at one time an opera instructor. She's a podcast host, as I mentioned. She writes music, and now she's working on a television production. Her experiences growing up in Alberta, but having rich international influence makes her cultural experience unlike anyone else I've met. I'm so excited for you to meet her today. Before we dive in, I quickly wanted to mention that Angie Culture is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. You can find us and many other locally curated shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. We're also proud to be recording this season of the show with We Edit Podcasts at their studio space in Calgary. Check out their spaces and editing services at weeditpodcasts.com. These two resources have been amazing partners of the show, so be sure you check them both out. I also wanted to mention another podcast to check out called Back to School Again, which is a podcast about midlife learners. On this season, presented in partnership with Athabasca University, host Katrina Ingram interviews educators and grad school students about their experiences. I'd recommend checking out episode five with Tim O'Brien, a law degree for non-lawyers. Find Back to School again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at backtoschoolagain.ca. That's backtoschoolagain.ca. This episode of Anticulture is also brought to you by The Shared Mic. Can you remember the last time you spoke to someone from a totally different generation who wasn't a member of your family? There is so much we can learn from listening to people both younger and older than ourselves. The Shared Mic, Conversations for the Ages, is a unique interview format intergenerational podcast by age-friendly Edmonton, bringing together people of different ages and backgrounds to discuss topics that matter to them. Season 2 is out now and features conversations about cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theater, volunteerism, and much more. Find The Shared Mic on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. And now for the show, welcoming Misha Masika. First of all, thank you so much for having me on I'm such a big fan and I so value what it is that you're putting out with this podcast. It's just so amazing and always so interesting. And yeah, so thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on. And and I do mention in the intro, but you're also a podcast host, which sometimes oh, yeah. intimidates me because I'm like, 
we both know what we're doing. <laughs> this is weird being on the other side, not going to lie, because I almost want to like ask you <laughs> questions. I'll be like, anyway, um, but okay. So me, let me stop stalling. Yeah, let's get back to you. Questions. Don't ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's interesting because I have a pretty, it's so funny when people ask me the question where I'm from. And to be honest, it used to be something that freaked me out so much and was so stressful because of what I'm about to say, because it was just always so complicated and just like so many things. When people look at me, there's nothing ambiguous about what I look like necessarily, right? People will be like, she's probably from the continent of Africa. But even in that, I mean, you know, it's 2020 and people still think that Africa is a country. So there's that. But anyway, so I was born in Swaziland, which is now called Eswatini. But I grew up in South Africa and Australia and Canada. And I'm not even Swazi. I am Zambian. My parents are Zambian. So culturally in the home, we were raised sort of between this like Zambian sort of traditions and stuff, but even what is Zambian tradition, basically British tradition because of colonization. And then also when you're socialized in the West, there's also that. So I kind of stumbled upon a term maybe eight or nine years ago, Afropolitan. And the breakdown, I can't remember exactly what the breakdown is, but it was like a TEDx talk in like Birmingham or something. And this girl was breaking down that term. And it really resonated with me, sort of, you know, a person who very much is tied back to the continent because of the way that they were traditionally raised in their home, but also has had very many Western and not even just Western, just global experiences, um, very metropolitan experiences. And I feel that that's definitely me in a nutshell. I value and deeply hold on to the traditions of Zambia that have been passed down. And there's still so much that I'm like learning about even more so in adulthood, but then realizing and recognizing that like the last time that I actually lived on the continent, I was nine years old, right? So my adolescence, my young adulthood, my adult, my full-blown adulthood has been in the West and has had very like Western sort of metropolitan experiences. So therefore I am Afropolitan. I love that term. I've actually never heard that before. And I just quickly looked it up too. And that's so interesting. Yeah. I have, it is an attempt at redefining African phenomena by placing emphasis on ordinary citizens' experiences in Africa. However, it defines being African in explicitly continent-wide and multiracial terms and rejects all pretensions to victimhood, which is really cool. Yeah. I love that phrase. I think it's so interesting too. Like, obviously, that was a mouthful to, to even say, <laughs> what is your cultural identity? Yeah. And I, I have a similar experience, not as crazy as yours, but I think you represent something really, really intriguing that I think is becoming a global pattern. And that is these people of the world, which I consider myself one as well. Like, there's yeah. multiple background influences that shape who you are and how you see yourself, but you always have that like root identity from your parents or that first little bit of your upbringing. And something that just kind of sparked in my mind as you were talking is, I think something that we don't really know a lot about is what is the experience of being, I guess, heritage wise from a country like Zambia, but then being raised in another African country as an yeah. immigrant, quote unquote. Is that a similar experience to what we understand immigrants to be? Or is that completely different? And what was your, what was your experience with that like? Oh, interesting. That is a very interesting question. 
Hmm, I wonder. I mean, I can only ever really just, I've only lived my life, right? So I would say that like, especially South Africa, and we moved to South Africa, like right when Nelson Mandela came into power, it was like post-apartheid, but like the South Africa, as we sort of know it, and still there's so much that, you know, needs to be worked out in that country was very racially, nationally, whatever you want to call it, sensitive at the time, even though there was like all of a sudden freedom from apartheid, it was still very much like people were not mixing even tribally, right? So it's not even just like black and white and, you know, Indian people not mixing. It was like, literally, if you were not Swazi, do not talk to Zulus and don't quote me specifically on that, but like, uh, they're still very much divided, right? So it's interesting. And like, we always joke about, you know, in my family, we joke about sort of like how we we're not dead, just because my parents were so naive in, in kind of being like, Oh, yeah, we're in South Africa, Nelson Mandela, so exciting. And like, growing up, like we went to, you know, a predominantly white church, like, and like, half the people left, <laughs> like, you know, because you we were a black family. And like, for us, as immigrants, I guess my parents were just like, oh, you know, this is just another country. We're all African kind of thing. So we, growing up, we were pretty protected because my parents sort of have a very beautiful, lovely outlook on life. And like, you know, they meet people as people and almost like force them to be like, oh yeah, we're all humans at the end of the day. We sort of grew up very, very protected and were exposed to people from all walks of life and just from the nature of even my mom and dad's jobs being a teacher and a doctor, that's very much like you're in the community. You have to be interacting with people. So I didn't necessarily feel maybe in real time when I was growing up, like I was like, oh, I'm different because even where we were and sort of growing up, it was kind of like, oh yeah, like this is just life. It wasn't until reaching adulthood and sort of unpacking some of the stuff where I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it was kind of weird that like, I didn't speak the same language as all the other black kids. And like, I was around like a lot of white kids, but like lived in a, in a black neighborhood, you know, like, so things like that, you know, popping up now in adulthood where I'm like, yeah, there was sort of an othering that happened, but I credit my parents for emphasizing, like, these are humans, these are humans that we're all going to appreciate and interact with. And that's that, but definitely from a bird's eye view, it probably I don't know. We would have to ask our neighbors. That's amazing. And I'm curious too, you you mentioned a couple other countries there, Australia, (laughs) (laughs) Canada. But yeah, what was your experience like going to those more Western influenced countries after being in Africa for your childhood? Right. I call myself a Commonwealth baby too, because like, I mean, uh, uh, other than like Germany, like sort of the growing up thing, I was like, oh, it's all Commonwealth. It's all, you know, under the queen. True. And there, there is something to that too. I think there's a synergy that happens in those places. Oh, definitely. Like the jump yeah. from South Africa to Australia didn't feel as, I think if we moved straight from South Africa to Canada, that would have been way more of a culture shock. Right. But there's a, there's a similar sort of temperament in certain pockets of South Africa and Australia. And then in the same way, like Australians and Canadians, right? Like, right. um, It was like a stepping stone. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I think there was grace in sort of the timing of the way that we moved. And yeah, I would say Australia probably was maybe the most shocking. But then again, as a kid, you're not realizing that you're like in shock. 
the first place we moved was this like rural northern like middle of nowhere town because again my dad is a doctor and he you know has a heart for rural areas so we were like in the middle of nowhere like when when people think of the outback of Australia like that is where we were for the first 6 months and it's so funny watching family videos because we're such a chatty family we're very theatrical and family videos when we were in Australia for the first 6 months none of us talked like on vi- it's eerie it's like a it's oh, like a weird. horror movie when you watch yeah. like videos from a certain period when we were in Australia where we were just like the kids were silent and i think that was probably our way of dealing with culture shock but we didn't even realize yeah i would say australia was probably hard granted you know just being like a prepubescent kid trying to like make friends again and i think it was probably harder for my older brother who at the time would have been like 13 14 15 and wow, he had yeah. already been to like two different high schools at that point. You know what I mean? So yeah, for, like I know for him, it was probably like, again, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, here we go again. But I'm a pretty, and whether it's learned behavior or part of my personality, I'm very adaptable. So it was kind of like I went into an autopilot of like, I got to adapt or die, you know? My accent changed, you know, within three months, I was like, I'm speaking with an Australian accent. You know, (laughs) I need to somehow blend in somehow, you know? Yeah, interesting. And I was actually, that was going to be my next question too, is I'm sure a lot of people are wondering how you landed (laughs) on the accent you have today, because you would imagine that's not how you talk. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Me and it's interesting because there's, so I'm from a family of, there's, there's three more of us. I am the third of four. And just depending on me and my brother are very similar in the way that we soaked in culture very, very quickly. But my Mm -hmm. two sisters and my sister is older than me. One of my sisters is older than me and she, her accent is still pretty ambiguous. Josiah, you know her. Yes, that's true. And yeah, her accent is a little bit more like harder to place a little bit more global. So people sometimes scratch their heads. And I think it has to do with sort of like personality type really and and for her I guess like fitting in wasn't as big of a a deal whereas for me I was like I need some sort of commonality yeah that makes you feel like you're part of the collective around you yeah exactly exactly and then in Canada same thing like when we moved to Canada within six months because we moved to a small rural Albertan (laughs) town shout out to a drum heller and we were the first black kids in the high school and we had Australian accents like that's really confusing for people that's crazy (laughs) in 2004 you know what I mean like it was it was a lot so it's like something needs to change I'm not going to change the color of my skin I can't do that so I have to change my accent I think that experience of being the first of any minority group in a majority situation is something I'm not too familiar with because I grew up in Calgary, right? And my, my right. family's mixed race. And so, yeah, what was that like for you? Was it negative or was it just kind of a growing pain or was it kind of just like any other situation where you had to adapt? What was the difference when you came to Canada? Yeah, you know what? I think at that point we were like experts, you know, at the at the ripe old age of 12, mm. I was already an expert at being like, oh, new people, I know this. You know what I mean? And like 
am I going to get all of these people on my side, you know, and like sort of like charm the pants off of everyone? Yes, let me do that. So (laughs) (laughs) it was like, we already almost like consciously, you know, the siblings had like this game plan going in. And, And it wasn't a negative experience, I think, also because we were just like lucky and blessed to have a cohort sort of like gr- the grades that yeah. we were in where people were were fascinated right like and and you think about the early 2000s and sort of the celebration of like hip hop culture and all of these things and yeah, true. the way that even though we we are not african american just by them associating like oh these are black kids which means that they're probably like <laughs> this and just you know like oh they're cool like the way my brother was like just swiped into the popular group, right? And was playing football and like had every girl in love with him. Like it was insane. It was absolutely yeah. insane. And like- That's awesome. First day I had a, a, like five friends, you know, following me around. So it sounds like I'm bragging a little bit, but like it was, we were lucky to not- Everyone's around your finger. That's what you're getting at. <laughs> a little bit. Like I was like, wow, this is not a racist town. And and yeah. maybe there's some sort of like, it's problematic on some level, but- we were lucky to sort of be like, okay, at least we're people are fascinated and interested in wanting to get to know us because because we're different as opposed to being like, ill, they're different, shun them. I was so patriotic about being like as soon as I left Canada and for some time abroad, that wasn't sort of the continent mm. of Africa. Like anytime I'm in Europe, the way that I flex being Canadian is like <laughs> so surprising. Yes. Yes, totally. (laughs) You know? How is that different than being Australian or feeling Australian? Well, I don't think I ever really, I think because we were there, we were only there for like three and a half years. So it it didn't, like in some ways I'm like, oh yeah, that was a place that I lived. That was like a time in my life so weirdly. And 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 there's still people that I talk to, you know, grade four, grade five, grade six grade seven is where, when I was there that I'm kind of like, oh yeah, that time that I lived in Australia, but it sort of feels like a dream at this point in, in my life. I'm kind of like, yeah, that happened. So I, I've never really claimed that identity. We, we, we sort of have a running joke in my family where we like claim the national anthems, like the, you know, it's like we can sing sort of <laughs> the fact that we can sing for national anthems <laughs> by heart and like by memory is like kind of funny and weird, but yeah, I don't know. There's something about when I'm abroad now and just be feeling so proud to be Canadian. And yeah, when I'm in a different province within Canada too, I'm very much like Alberta is amazing. You know what I mean? Like out yeah. here just being Alberta's spokesperson because I really <laughs> I really actually do love this province. I do. We get a bad rap for a lot of things, but I, I, I this place is dope. The prairies, I'm like a prairie girl. For sure. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, especially growing up in Drumheller, I'm sure you feel that to to a yeah. special extent. Yeah. Yeah. And come on, these sunsets, like you, where else? Honestly, where else in the world? I'm, I'm still, so true. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for to experience a sunset <laughs> better yeah. than an Albertan one. Name a better duo, yes. Alberta and Sunsets. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, that that's so interesting. It definitely enlightens my understanding of, of your experience. And I think it's so cool that you've had all these all these moments in life that have shaped and molded you, especially in a cultural identity setting. Mm. And you kind of mentioned this, but do you feel like anywhere you travel now, if you had to, you could adapt to any culture? I mean, when it comes to sort of like learning another language, like for example, sort of bringing Germany up again, 
that was the it's the language thing that's a bit of a learning curve but i would still say i would still say there are like once you sort of get to get in the face of people do you know what i mean like of the locals and totally. and and find a way in because humans are more similar than they are different even though there's certain values that we emphasize in different cultures you know depending on which hemisphere you live in but at the end of the day, it's like we all need the five essential things that we need, love, shelter, food, all the things. <laughs> so kind of like getting in the faces of locals and and being like, where is it that we, we relate? Where is it that we see each other's humanity? I, I really do think that I would be happy anywhere in the world because I, I love people, you know, as long as I can hunker down and learn the language, like I, I would... I would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been your entryway is how you talk. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Who, knew? That's awesome. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does have a lot to do with people's perception of identity. I think how they speak. So I love that story that you shared that you were just kind of like, okay, I'm going to change how I speak now because this is the one common thing I have to have. I think that's really, that's mm -hmm. really interesting because a lot of us would have a barrier up for that just in terms of being comfortable to even try that. So totally. And I really just, really cool. Yeah. And I just even think like, I mean, I guess I'm reiterating your point, but yeah, like our unconscious bias or even our very conscious bias when we are speaking to someone with an accent, you know, even in English right. and what conclusions we sort of draw when there's just a little bit of a difference, but they're still communicating in the same language. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of really interesting that it's like it's something as specific as your an accent, which is even why when I'm when I am speaking in another language. I want to get the accent right, not just the words right. Like, yeah. I'm like, can, yeah. I want the intonation. I want the rhythm. I want everything to to feel like I am a native speaker of that language as opposed to just being like, am I saying bonjour right? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a big key that we we get scared of when we learn new languages, but I love that. Now, something that I, I think this is bringing up too for me is just a curiosity. And obviously, I know a little bit more about you than the average listener, but <laughs> right. I'd love if you shared with the audience just kind of after having this upbringing and being exposed to so many different things, I'm curious, like, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? How has the world shaped who you are and what you put out into it? Oh, my goodness. I mean, my hobbies and my interests are... This is going to sound so like up in the air, but my hobbies and my interests are uh, my lifestyle and what I do sort of in my everyday and, and what I do for work. I am a working artist, so the way that that is expressed is through writing and music and making visual things every now and then. And, you know, ever since I was a tiny little wee baby in Swaziland and then South Africa, have been always sort of artistically curious and have always sort of created things whether that be writing stories and I've had a journal since I was eight years old and have literally been consistently writing in journals since I was eight like which is crazy to think now I'm kind of an, an ex-theater kid a proudly ex-theater kid you know was that nerd in high school still very much just love 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 theater and and that whole entire world and Music is another huge part of my life. I am a singer. I'm a vocal coach. I studied opera in university. So I am just every everything to do with art, which sounds so cliche, I think sometimes 
being a millennial. Um, it's like I'm a creative. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, I really just. I really just love. I cannot get enough. I don't think there ever will be a day where I will be bored when it comes to anything to do with creating. And the good thing about that is that you can always create, and that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the hobby you want to have if you're a global citizen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I love that. Yeah. And yeah, and you did your opera career had a bit of a plateau in Germany. Is that right? Well, it was interesting. I sort of like, I had a moment because I went to Germany to 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 really, because it was the first sort of like semi-professional, really, really big thing. I was like, I am going to sing in a show in Germany. This is huge. I'm going to sing German for Germans in Germany. Crazy, right? <laughs> and I was so young. I was 24, just like wide-eyed, so excited. And I had already sort of been struggling with to opera or not to opera before I went to Germany. Music school was very, very hard for me. I loved mm. it. I enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. But it was it was extremely hard. It was always just such a struggle to sort of get get to it. And at that point, I'd invested 15 years of my life in like classical training. So I was like, I, I need to I need to follow through. So going to Germany was really interesting because once I got there, I'm in the show. I was like happy to be there. learned so much. That's a whole thing that at some point, if I ever write a memoir, it will definitely be a couple of pages because it was wild, yeah. or a couple of chapters because it was wild. It was a wild time. But I remember looking around sort of at my castmates and realizing that I was not as passionate as them. Everybody was nerding out about like their favorite Mozart piece or their favorite Puccini this, <laughs> da, 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 da. And I was like, can I listen to Beyonce? Like I was just, it was just, <laughs> it was a moment for me where I was like, I don't think this is it for me. I think I'm, I'm still interested in creating other things, not just singing yeah. down for rich white people. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's such a valuable insight you had about yourself too, because that kind of ticks at the whole idea of having your own sense of your own culture. And mm. I think it doesn't really have to do with where you are or what your interests are, or even where you came from. You kind of formulate these ideas of who you are as you grow up in those experiences. And yeah, I love that <laughs> you knew that you didn't want to talk about your favorite Mozart and you wanted to listen to Beyonce and that, <laughs> that, that, that adheres to the culture of Misha, I think, which is really, really interesting. Mm, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm curious now at this stage of your life, looking back and talking about all these things, what do you think are the things that most shaped what your idea of culture is? And what does that term even mean to you? Ooh, what are the things that have shaped my idea of culture? Hmm. Expand a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we're tracing around these ideas of like, I think to some people, culture is like, oh, you're so cultured because you lived in many countries and you sang opera. But to some people, it's just like, oh, like she's a black girl. That's her culture. To some people, it's like, there's so many boxes you could be put in. And so... Yeah, I, I think it it is pretty open-ended, but I do want to know, how do you see the concept and what is your culture? Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's really interesting. I feel like you've almost answered the question for me in the way that like, <laughs> for a long time, I think the way in which people were relating to me was what I would take as mm, culture, right? So, right. so exactly what you said, where it's like the perception people had of me 
And also in the the after effects of colonization in a lot of African countries, you know, Zambian culture now versus Zambian culture 200 years ago probably looks wildly different, right? So the things that are emphasized and celebrated in Zambian culture in 2020 have a lot of British influence. So, yeah, you know, I, I remember sort of growing up and still now to this day, certain things being emphasized and being like, this is like good culture, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. And sort of always taking note of what people were telling me culture was, if that makes sense. So, so right. the fact yeah. that I, at nine years old, 10 years old was studying music classically, it's just like, okay, I have a, a sense of culture and sort of growing up upper middle class, like there was, there were certain things that we were exposed to obviously as, as kids in my family where I was like, okay, this is culture. People who don't play field hockey are cultureless, you know, um, and <laughs> uh, to be perfectly frank. But then when you move to Canada and then now you're just considered like, oh, these are like black kids. So we're going to, you know, associate them with African-American culture. All of a sudden that identity is put on you as well. And I'm like, I guess this is my culture. And I'm like, what? I've never set foot in the United States. What does this even mean? Honestly, up until maybe 25, that was sort of my perception of culture was the perception of other people and what they mirrored back to me. Right. The projection of what they think you should be. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and sort of taking the things of being like, well, I am all of these things in the world. And, and, and the, I guess this is the way that I show up. Therefore, this is my culture. But now it's almost like I've reverted back to or have grown into, evolved into, if you will, like a more traditional sense of what culture is for me. And I just really value the values of my family and the traditions of my family and you know, have been so curious and interested in certain familial traditions being passed down, you know, through generations and generations. Um, And then as well, as an adult, as, you know, a woman and as an artist, my everyday sort of like habits and things that I do, you know, having a friend group that are mostly artists and the things that we do, okay, we sit around and we create, that's like part of that, that is my culture to me. I'm just like a life of creating all the time <laughs> is my, does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, that absolutely. Answer. That was answered very well. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And thank you for sharing all of that. I think that's like super insightful. And, and I, I think the purpose of these discussions too, from my perspective is just to enlighten people that there is so much more going on to each individual. And yeah. you're not going to know that unless you ask the right questions. Right. So thank you for sharing that with us. So now it's 2020. It's been a crazy year. Yeah. We're dealing with a lot. (laughs) We're all feeling a lot, but you have managed to work in some pretty exciting projects. (laughs) And one of those is the African family, which I am so curious about. Mm. Can you tell us what that is and what your involvement is in that project? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just first, firstly, it is kind of crazy that in some ways, one of the most, I don't know, like the biggest things that I've gotten in my career so far has happened in like what feels like a desolate time for so many people. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm very grateful, very thankful, wake up pinching myself every day, sort of like looking at where I'm living, how I'm living and what I get to do. So 
So The African Family is a TV show, a series that is centered around this African family, this Congolese couple. There's so many things that happen, you know, in the show, but it's sort of a breakdown and a examination of a marriage in Canada and what it means to sort of like be an immigrant as a newlywed, navigating what you need to navigate, you know, and sort of this, yeah. the, the, the the cognitive dissonance that comes with like expectations of you maybe in your learned culture, the culture that you've brought, but then against sort of the new culture that you're experiencing. And it's like, I'm being very vague because I, maybe I don't want to give away some, some, some stuff. <laughs> no, that's great. But it's a drama, but it's also, there's, there's a lot of light comedic moments in it because I think that honestly, it, it's so funny to get like a little personal, you know, this time has not been like the easiest for me, especially like recently this month is not, but it's so funny in the most dramatic moments that have happened for me personally in this month, there's, there's, there's so, there's so much humor in really, really dark moments. And, right. and I guess to be specific, my, my involvement in the African family series, I'm the head writer of the show. So I there wrote it the whole is. thing. Yeah. What? <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. It, it still yeah. feels weird to say that Josiah. <laughs> That's huge. That's really exciting. And I was going to say, like, before you go on too, that the way you described it, there's there's an evident gap of that kind of media being shown in Canada. Like, mm. I think, you know, you can think of things like Kim's Convenience yeah. or shows like that and or Little Mosque on the Prairie or mm -hmm. that show that came out. And they're they're very unique in a special way. But I think this concept is is completely different. And I think it's it's something that will draw a lot of people in, but also expose different ways of thinking about the immigrant experience. So totally. It's pretty amazing that you're the head writer. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> I'm excited too. It was it kind of happened by accident. Like I thought I was coming in to sort of help with the writing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Help with the writing and sort of contribute to a couple of episodes. But then it ended up, you know, I just I ended up like spearheading the whole thing. And the story, I I, I am not going to take credit for the story. The story, they kind of gave me the arc. And then they were like, right. please go crazy with characters and where you want side stories to go and stuff. So they gave me a lot of freedom. Shout out to Simba Creative. Gave me so much artistic freedom and really sort of believed in my ability and where I wanted to take the story. So I'm super grateful and have just been, it's it's honestly been a dream working with that production company. They are like the most collaborative people, the most collaborative people that I've ever come across. So, That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear more about it. And I know you guys have been getting a lot of press lately, yes. which is really exciting. But yeah. what, what kind of the next steps, what can people look for, for the show? When will we get to see it? Do you have all that info? Right. So right now it is in post. So it's in post-production, the editing process. I saw a little bit of the clips and I'm, I'm losing my mind because I'm so proud. Like I haven't even seen any like, uh, you know, even a rough cut, but just seeing some of the footage because I wasn't really on set that much. You know, once once I put the end on the script, my job was done. So but just even getting a sneak peek at some of the scenes, like I absolutely lost my mind and like, you know, did a lap around the studio because I was so excited. So we're currently in post right now. And 
I think by late January, early February, we would have like locked in. So right now we're shopping for networks and <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah shopping <laughs> for networks. We have the ears of some pretty big networks. So that's amazing. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. I'm not going to say who, but the, the, <laughs> the big ones. And uh, the earliest that anybody could see it would be the summer of 2021. So just keep your fingers crossed and really, you know, go and go and hound all of these network executives to to put us on. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll share this episode with all of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Just kind of a side question on that. How mm-hmm. was it like writing from that perspective of a Congolese family's experience? Was that was that kind of foreign to you? Did you have to do some research? Right. Yeah. So what was really interesting is when I got brought on to the project, the first thing that I asked, I was like, what story is this? Whose story is this? And mm. I was kind of talking in reference to a country. Like I was like, is this a Nigerian story? Right. Because the director, Bookie Wanda, she's Nigerian. So I was like, is this a story out of Nigeria. Where is this? And she's like, well, it's wherever you want it to be. So Zambia is right underneath the Congo. For some reason, I didn't want to make the couple Zambian. I don't know. I just, I just <laughs> didn't. But I, I was adamant about making the whole cast diverse and showcasing more than one country in Africa. So I made the, the main couple Congolese, you know, a friend is from Ghana, another friend is from South Africa, someone else is from the East. I'm like, if the name of the show is The African Family, then it has to look like the whole of Africa. So I was super adamant about peppering in the diaspora. And we even have, like, we're even including the Caribbean. They're one of the main characters' best friends is from Trinidad. Amazing. Hey. <laughs> yeah. You're Trini, right? Yes, I am. That's yeah, right. that's awesome. Yeah, shout out to Trinidad. So <laughs> I um I wanted it to really be inclusive of, yeah, the whole diaspora and even the actors that we have are from these places. Everyone that is playing, like the fact that the actress that we got for the lead role, she is Congolese. She speaks French. She speaks Lingala. We just lucked out. We We completely lucked out. So writing for it was... Easy in the sense that culturally, certain parts of the Congo are similar to certain parts of Zambian culture. And the producer is Congolese as well. So I could ask him a lot of questions. And, you know, having friends from South Africa and friends from Nigeria and Ghana, it was kind of easy to, you know, pull from what I've already observed just in life, but also asking my Nigerian friends like, oh yeah, what's slang for this word or that word? Or like, how do you say the sentence? Does this make sense? Yeah. So it was, it was honestly so fun. It was so fun because it felt like, I don't know, I was at like the Afro-Caribbean club in university or something. (laughs) That's so fun. Oh man. I'm really excited to see it and I wish you the best with it and the whole team. Thank you. There is a website up. I think it's the AfricanFamilySeries.com. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. And on Instagram. And on Instagram. Yeah. The African Family Series. So cool. I'm I'm really excited about that. And I'm I'm also really happy for you because you also didn't have the best luck with <laughs> some other productions you're working right. on. Right. Yeah. This year. And I, yeah, I, I don't want to get into all the details, but I do kind of want to give you an opportunity to maybe share some inspiration for people that might mm. be discouraged this year. And yeah, what do you have to share about that? My goodness. I think that, yeah, it is crazy. The The top of this year, even before the pandemic, 
was really, really hard. I went through some really sort of creative, professional, personal, it was all kind of wrapped up in one project that was just really just, you know, tore me apart. I lost so much of my confidence, had, you know, second, was just second guessing myself. I'm like, yeah, am I even good at what I do? Like, you know, it was a whole thing. It was very, very dramatic. And it was, it's so crazy that a few months later getting this job and having an experience that was almost like night and day to that, that experience. But what is so interesting about both of them is that on paper, they look very, very similar. Right. I mean, I even got them mixed up when I was texting. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On paper, yeah. they sort of look very similar. And even the shape of the, the, the crew, if you will, to, to, to be pretty vague, you know, looks very, very similar. And yeah, they've just been like wildly different experiences. But I am honestly very, very grateful for the prior one because it did prepare me for this one. Because there was a level of awareness and humility going into this one that I didn't necessarily have in the prior one. And then to be almost like pleasantly surprised in the way that they were championing me, you know, in the African family series was really, really cool. So I think, I mean, this is, this is going to sound so cliche, but really, truly, honestly, there is a lesson in everything. A failure is always just another opportunity to pivot, reevaluate. There's always work to be done. And I don't even mean that in like a like hustle harder sort of thing. But I think like definitely as a creative, there's always opportunity to meet the day, celebrate the day and create something out of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Anti-Culture with Josiah Sinanin once again. You can keep up with our guest Misha on Instagram at I am Lemba. That's I am L-E-M-B-A. Also check out her podcast in rehearsal anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with news from The African Family at theafricanfamilyseries.com. We'll see you next week for episode three. And in the meantime, make sure you join the conversation. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Josiah Podcast, and make sure you also subscribe to our YouTube channel and email list at josiahpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. All my best, Josiah.